I'm Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Apart from Indiana Jones, what does an archaeologist actually do? It turns out that a lot of archaeologists, like this week's guest Stephanie Sperling, work a little closer to home than you might even expect. We'll learn about Stephanie's work in Maryland's Anne Arundel County on everything from prehistoric Native American sites to colonial settlements and more. Let's start digging into this week's PreserveCast. From Preservation Maryland Studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we are joined in studio by Stephanie Sperling, who is the director of Anne Arundel County Archaeological Research, and that is a county here in Maryland uh, along the Chesapeake Bay, and Stephanie has been working in the Chesapeake region for 18 years, and so we're having her here in the studio today to talk about all things archaeology. So it's good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I've become a real fan of the series. I'm, I'm jazzed to be here. Cool. That's really great. It's good to hear. So we always try and dig a little bit deeper. We'll try and use every archaeology pun we have um, in, in the book today. Um, so we want to dig a little deeper and find out how you found your way to archaeology. So we asked people how they get into this different niches within preservation. So how did you become an archaeologist? Uh, growing up, I was always interested in history. I loved history. It was my favorite subject in school. And my favorite thing to do in my free time was wander in the forest, just to play in the woods. And when I would be back there, I'd often find stuff that people had left behind, old bottles or whatever. And I always ask questions. Where did this come from? Who left it? What did this place used to look like? How did it get here? So when I got to college, I kind of flitted through a couple of majors and eventually landed in anthropology and loved my archaeology classes. And it was just tying back everything I loved as a kid. So after I graduated, my first job in archaeology was at Jefferson Patterson Park and the Maryland Archaeology Conservation Lab down in Calvert County. It's the Maryland State Repository for Artifacts. So if you've dug a site anywhere in Maryland, this is the place your artifacts can go. So I got a job there. I worked there for a year and worked on some amazing sites, contact period sites, when the uh, Europeans were first arriving here and they met the Native Americans. So I learned field techniques there. I learned how to work in the lab, what happens to all the artifacts after you find them. I learned how to talk to people about archaeology and outreach. And I was just hooked. So I've been doing it ever since. And so your next job would have taken you to Anne Arundel County? Is that the progression there? No. For several years after that, I worked in CRM, in cultural resource management. Mm -hmm. Most archaeologists in this country are employed as CRM archaeologists. It's the business side of archaeology. So you work for a firm that is hired in advance of construction. So if they're going to be putting in a road or they're putting in townhouses and there's federal or local regulations that require archaeology, they'll hire you and you'll go and you'll do a survey first and look for the sites and, you know, eventually mitigate them if they can't avoid them before they develop. So I did that for several years. Did you travel around the country doing that or was no, it all here in Maryland? All in the middle Atlantic. 
Most of that time was spent out in Northern Virginia. It was the early 2000s, and there was a big construction boom. And all of the counties in Northern Virginia have local regulations that require archaeology. Mm -hmm. So I was kept employed and got to go home every night. The flip side of that, though, was that it wasn't terribly interesting archaeology a lot of times. It was a 600-acre tract of land that we had to go and dig thousands of little holes looking for artifacts. And often you'd find nothing except ticks and cedar <laughs> forest hell. <laughs> so you really enjoyed your time in Virginia, I can tell. Um, you know, I learned a lot. I expanded my network. Archaeology is a small profession, so I got to meet a lot of people. I... I, I, like I said, I learned a lot. But after several years of that is when I was offered the job working in Anne Arundel County. And I've been doing it ever since because it's more research driven and it's more outreach driven. And that's what I really like about it. So for people who aren't familiar, maybe they're listening from somewhere else in the country, how would you describe Anne Arundel? What is Anne Arundel County? What's the history and what kind of things can you expect to find as an archaeologist there? Anne Arundel is located on the Chesapeake Bay. It's on the western shore of the bay. We have over 500 miles of shoreline. So the county has always been very water focused. The type of sites that I've been digging, uh, particularly over the last seven or eight years, have been coastal sites, Native American coastal sites. First European settlers to Maryland in the 1600s uh, lived close to the water so that they could ship out the tobacco and the different goods that they were manufacturing. And then, you know, it became a, a waterman type place where people fished and there were wharfs. Later on, it became a place for recreation. So uh, I've excavated a lot of coastal sites that are beach resorts and steamship wharfs and places that people from Washington and Baltimore came and they made this their playground before the Bay Bridge came Right, in. because for those people who maybe aren't from Maryland, you know, before we had the big Bay Bridge that spanned the Chesapeake Bay, a lot of this sort of recreation in the summer took place on the western shore versus going over to the eastern shore. Or even if you went to the eastern shore, you went to beaches right on the edge. You didn't go all the way to the ocean because that was a real trip back then, I guess, before the, the age of the automobile. And exactly. Exactly. So there were some steamships that would take you from Baltimore to the eastern shore. Right. But it, they were just day trips. Or right. Maybe you'd you came stay back. You came back. Tolchester Beach, I think, is one up in, like, uh, in uh, Kent County, Maryland. So then after the, you know, after Anne Arundel kind of lost its uh, appeal as a recreation destination, we have a lot of people that drive to Washington and Baltimore for work. It's suburban, right? but it's also, there's some rural parts. I live in a very rural part of Southern Anne Arundel County where I have to drive 20 minutes to get to the grocery store. That's pretty rural. <laughs> yeah. And it's also, people should know too, that Annapolis falls within Anne Arundel County. So it is also the, the capital of the state falls there as well. It's so the capital you, of the state and the capital of our county. So yeah, there's a lot going on in Annapolis. Yeah, pretty exciting. So as an archaeologist, for someone who is totally brand new to archaeology, they didn't understand what it was at all. First off, why do you do archaeology? Let me take the uh, the counterpoint. You're just digging things up. They're old things. What does it matter if you find an arrowhead? Why should we care about archaeology? Let's try and find that answer first. <laughs> and then maybe we can walk through how it actually works. But but why? So archaeology gives us a way of looking at the past and engaging with the past that is unique. 
you know, you can read about history in a book. You can go to a historic house and imagine what life must have been like. But archaeology is, it's unbiased in a way. Everybody leaves an archaeological site behind. I mean, what I do is I dig through people's garbage from a long time ago. But this can be exceptionally revealing. I can find out things about you. I can find out what you like to eat. I can find out where you were. I can find out what type of person you were. I can certainly find out when you occupied this area. And when you can pick up an artifact, I mean, you're reaching out across time. Right. Because oftentimes you're the first person to touch that since it was dropped, right? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, so in in the cases of pre-settlement, you're talking about maybe thousands of years? Thousands of years. The earliest site that we have in Anne Arundel is, oh, it's probably twelve or 13,000 years old. So we're talking about a time, and it's almost unimaginable how ancient it is. So absolutely. I mean, archaeology also gives us a way of understanding people for whom there was nothing ever written. There is no written record because everybody does leave this site behind. So you can learn about women, children, slaves, tenants, just everyday people through excavating archaeology sites. So it really is. I mean, it kind of gives voice to the voiceless in some ways. It's the unwritten history, but it's no less important than a journal or, or the structure that's still standing. Sure. And, you know, it's always great when you can dig a site that is a historic period site that's from when we do have writing, because then you can kind of put together what you're finding in the ground plus the written record, and that can paint a very vibrant picture of the past. Now, I guess I should have asked this. Do you consider yourself a historic period archaeologist or a prehistoric? Is there a distinction between the two? Is it sort of like you guys fight each other? I mean, what's the, I mean, do, do you have to kind of say like, okay, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And then you just go that way your whole career or can you do both? How does it all work? I, I certainly have done both. Okay. And, and appreciate both. I suppose when I started in my career, I really trended more towards historical archaeology because it seemed so much more tangible. You know, when you look at a collection that somebody left behind from 1800, you can kind of get, okay, these are dishes, this, these are silverware, as opposed to looking at a collection of ancient Native American artifacts, which are like, these are rocks. <laughs> and what, and right. what else do you have? But uh, throughout my career, I've, especially in the last several years since I've been with Anne Arundel, I've done a lot more prehistoric or ancient Native American sites which I find just fascinating because like we kind of alluded to, you know, there is nothing written about these people. And here in Maryland, these cultures that had existed for thousands and thousands of years were wiped out, uh, nearly wiped out by 1700. For us to understand what the Indians were doing, you have to look through the lens of archaeology, especially when you're getting back into the the long ago. Well, there's so few Native Americans left to this day. I mean, I grew up in in Western New York, and there we still had um, Native American reservations, and you know, some family members are Native Americans, and there it was just so much more even ingrained into modern day society that that was an aspect of life, and there was sort of this continuum from the prehistoric period in, in, a, in a way, right? I mean, these people were still living there and still had these connections. But in Maryland, you have, I mean, there are obviously still some tribes left, but they're so few and far between that I feel like archaeology plays an even more important role in, a, in an area where the native people have just been kind of removed from the landscape. And removed from memory. Right. I, yeah, I there's mean, just no, mem- no, no societal memory of it. Exactly. 
in an area like Maryland, there's no cultural continuity, right? I mean, it's different in New York or if you go out west or go to a place like Hawaii or someplace, the native groups are still there and still part of the conversation. But here, I mean, when kids are taught about Maryland history, there might be a half a chapter at the beginning of the year talking about, oh, Indians lived here for 10,000 years. And now let's start at 1600 and move forward. So yeah, it's filled in a lot of our gaps. But I mean, of course, you know, the problem with archaeology and the problem with looking back through the record is that there's not much that lasts for that long. So we're trying to make these like huge leaps of understanding of Mm -hmm. what life was like thousands and thousands of years ago for a culture that we have nothing to directly relate to. Right. And archaeology is a science. So you're trying not to do too much conjecture as well, right? I mean, you're trying to, (laughs) there's a little bit of it. It's maybe not the hardest of sciences, but in a sense, right, you are trying to match things up with fact and basis in artifacts, I guess. Oh, absolutely. We dig stratigraphically, like down through the layers. We dig very intentionally and scientifically and do utilize different scientific processes to inform our analysis ultimately. But in some cases, you're making big leaps of faith. And then, of course, you dig the next hole and everything that you thought you knew is gone. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's a good segue to talking about, you're talking about stratigraphic digging and all those sorts of things. I think that that's a great segue to kind of talk about how a dig actually takes place and all that sort of thing. And why don't we do that after we take a quick break? And we'll be right back on PreserveCast. All right, Steve, it's Maryland quiz time. Bring it on. I know all the Maryland facts there are to know. I bet you won't know this one. I'll even give you multiple choice. Who was Astrodon John Stoney? A, the state dinosaur? B, a famous mid-Atlantic rock star? Or C, the first Marylander to walk on the moon? Ha! I see what you're doing. That's a trick question. It's B and C. Astronaut Bon Jovi is a rock star who walked on the moon. Come on, Steve. I said Astrodon John Stoney, and Bon Jovi is from New Jersey. So, it's A? Maryland has a state dinosaur? Yep. Astrodon John Stoney is actually the first dinosaur discovered in Maryland and the first sauropod discovered in the country. Philip Tyson, the state agricultural chemist, found a pair of teeth in 1858 near Muirkirk in Prince George's County. He wasn't sure what to do with them, so he brought the teeth to Dr. Christopher Johnston, a local physician and dentist. Johnston cut a very thin slice into the tooth to examine it under a microscope and found an unusual star shape in the cross section of the tooth. Because of this shape, he referred to whatever creature they came across as an astrodon, or star tooth, in an article he wrote for a dental journal in 1859. In 1865, Dr. Joseph Leedy, often considered the pioneer of American paleontology, examined the finds and was able to make a complete description and gave it the full scientific name of Astrodon John Stoney. So you really were trying to trick me, because it sounds like you're saying that dinosaur's name is really Startooth Johnston. I guess you could say that, Steve. Anyway, enough prehistory. Let's get back to PreserveCast. Do you have questions? We may have answers. If at any point during this podcast you've thought of a question that you have for us or maybe one of our guests, we'd love to hear about it. You can send an email to podcast at presmd.org, and we'll try and answer it right here on the air on the next episode of PreserveCast. PreserveCast. 
This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. We're joined in studio today by Stephanie Sperling, who is the director of Anne Arundel County Archaeological Research. And we are talking about all things archaeology. Before we took our break, Stephanie sort of opened up about stratigraphic digging and and how uh, a dig takes place and what they find and how it can blow up different assumptions when all that happens. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to kind of go step by step through, if you didn't know anything about it, how would you explain how an archaeological dig works? So you've got a piece of property, someone for some reason or another either because of a law has been triggered or they're just fascinated by, they think there's some history there and they want to do an archaeological dig, what happens then? Well, the first step is, you know, before you even start, you want to do some background research. So we will use GIS to look at historic map overlays. We'll go back as far as the historic maps go for that area. Sometimes it's 100 years, sometimes it's 200 or 300 years or more and see if there was ever a house or a dwelling or something that was there on that property. And we could also use LIDAR to see what's going on beneath the tree canopy. Why don't you tell us what LIDAR is? So LIDAR is just a technology that enables us to see what the ground surface looks like without the trees, without the buildings on it. So if I'm going to go out and walk around a property, I'm going to know, are there big depressions? Um, Maybe that's where a cellar was. Are there... You know, could I be so lucky there were huge terrace gardens or something? I did a project recently where we had these amazing terrace gardens that just popped out on the LiDAR maps. You could oh, so see. you didn't see them, but you didn't know that they were there before the LiDAR? No, not really. Wow. Not really. That's I mean, cool. we sort of knew there was a hillside there. Where was that? There. Uh, that's down, it's called Ivy Neck Plantation. It's an 18th century plantation on the Road River. Um, well, south of Annapolis. A, maybe we can get a picture of that LIDAR for the blog that will accompany oh, this, sure. uh, this podcast. Sure, that, yeah. That's that, pretty neat. Yeah, that was a really neat site. And that... That was a, a phase one, we call it, a, the first step. And Okay, so and why don't you take site. us through that project then? Why don't you tell us how, how all that all came together? So you did your research on it, you've done your LIDAR, and then what happens at this plantation site? We went out and, first of all, we do a walkover. We walk around the entire property and try to get a sense of the landscape. Are there any ruins that are still left on the surface? At Ivy Neck, it's a, there's a huge mansion that we knew it was there. It burned. It was built in the 1780s and burned in the 1940s, burned to the ground. So that was still there. But then we're also looking around for any kind of outbuildings to get a sense of what the landscape looked like. In that case, we got our county survey crew to come out, and they used their total station to map in all of the surface features, all of the roads. They mapped in the terraces. It's on a bluff overlooking the river, and so they mapped in the edge of the bluff because part of the reason we were out there was because we're monitoring coastal sites to see what sites are eroding and susceptible to sea level rise. And this one's eroding the cliff eroding pretty quickly, so we wanted to get a baseline for, for where it is now so we can keep an eye on it. So then we just dig a bunch of holes. And that's I, that's called a phase one, This is right? a phase one, yeah, a phase one identification. We're identifying a site. I suppose we sort of knew the site was there, but no survey had ever taken place out there. And how far apart are these holes and how big are the holes? In this case, it was 25 feet. Um, so each we, hole is 25 feet apart. Yep, and we dig them about about a foot, foot and a half in diameter. We dig down, oh, as, as deep as you go to don't find stuff anymore, which is sometimes like a foot to two feet. Okay. Deep. And so how is this digging done? Is it done with a shovel? Shovel, but but is it delicate in a phase one? Oh no. Not delicate. Oh You're no. Just no. Throwing things you around. are just 
pounding through the earth, trying to bust through the roots. I mean, archaeology is tough work. It's yeah. tough physical work, you know. And then so so you're just taking the shovel and you're digging a hole with as straight a sides as you can. Okay. So you can see what the soil profile looks like ultimately. You take all that soil and you push it through a screen, a one quarter inch uh, mesh. And we, once you push all the dirt through, you can see if there's any artifacts left. You record what the soil horizons look like because that can help us figure out how old is this? Uh, where did all the artifacts come from? We can take a look at the soil. It kind of gives us a, an opportunity to see beneath the ground surface in a broad way. And we record all the, the soil. We record the artifacts we found. And then you move on to the next one. And how many of those did you do on this site, give or take? At Ivy Neck, I think it was about 100. But some of the surveys I was talking about earlier in Northern Virginia, there would be thousands Thousands and thousands of little holes dug in the woods. Wow. So you, the, ideally, you find something in one of these. Did you find anything <laughs> at, at Ivy Neck? You know, at Ivy Neck, interestingly, we did not find very much in the shovel oh, tests. Oh, that's a Be sad story. Well, but it's not. it has a happy end. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, at Ivy Neck, we didn't find much in the shovel test because the owners still live on the property. And so they've kept it pretty clean. There's not a lot of that trash that's laying around. Yeah. But... When we got inside the mansion, we were able to crawl around in some of the cellars that were still there from the old mansion and found what is probably the owner's private collection of projectile points of arrowheads that they had picked up over the years from their farm fields. Hmm. And when the house burned, they clearly just forgot about it. I mean, they took most of their furniture out. They took the big stuff out. But they forgot about this little collection of projectile points. So we found hundreds and hundreds of Indian arrowheads. That probably came from that property. They absolutely did. Actually, on the property as well, there's an Indian burial ground that has oh. eroded into the, the Road River uh, maybe 15 or 20 years ago or so. But it was a really significant burial ground. Very, very unusual. It's like 2,000 years old. So we know the Indians were coming there for a long time before the settlers got there. So let's say, though, maybe Ivy Neck's not the perfect case, but a situation where you do find something pretty significant during this phase one process, then what could potentially happen? You move on to a phase two? So at a phase two level, we are, we're evaluating the site. So let's say that a developer is going to put a road in and... So we'll say, all right, we found a site at the phase one level, but now we want to go out and evaluate it. We want to see, is it eligible for listing on the register, on the National Register of Historic Places? Does it retain integrity is the question we're always asking. And when you're talking about archaeological integrity, it's like, is it still intact? Or did I just find all the stuff on the surface? Or are there intact layers? Are, are there things for me still to find beneath the ground surface or has it been destroyed? And in order to do that, we start to dig units. So they're squares, sometimes three feet across, sometimes five feet across. And we dig them layer by layer. And this is more delicate? This than... is a little bit more delicate. Yeah, we start out with shovels and then we'll move to trowels. And, you know, we scrape away the layers of soil. We're still screening. We're still looking for artifacts. Mm -hmm. And then if we find stuff, if we find, you know, intact features or like pits or hearths or foundations or something that's still intact beneath the ground surface, we'll tell the developer, can you move your road? Because we really want to preserve this site. And if he says, no, I still have to put my road through there, then it moves on to phase three, which is full data recovery. We will excavate the site out of existence because it's going to be destroyed anyway. So we're trying to recover as much information as we can. So if you can save it, though, if, if the developer does move the road or doesn't put the house foundation there, then you would generally not want 
to move to a phase three to completely remove it? Is that the goal there? You wouldn't want to completely remove it? Or is there what, yeah, the what's goal the thought is, on that in archaeology? The goal is always to keep the site where it is, okay. to avoid the site, is always the number one recommendation. Now, that's a little different in some of the work I've been doing with coastal sites. Because you're expecting you're going to lose it? Because we are losing them. Because you are losing them. I mean, here on the Bay, the rate of erosion for some coastal sites that we've observed is stunning. I mean, it's 40, 50, 60 feet in just a matter of years. Wow. So we know that the site is going away. So in that case, what we're trying to do is do that phase three level data recovery to get as much information as we can before it's gone. But in, in a site that's in the middle of a field or that's not imminently threatened like that, we always recommend that they avoid them. And when we dig sites, we'll often just, um, we won't dig at all. We leave something for future archaeologists. Just in case there's new technology, perhaps, in the future. One can only hope. So speaking <laughs> of that, what kind of technology are you using out in the field? So far, the technology we've heard has been shovel and trowel. I presume there, and I guess we got LIDAR in there. And we and got we the got total GIS station. GIS <laughs> and the total station. So there was some prep technology, yeah. right? And finding sites and things like that. And then documenting things out there with the total station and creating a map of what exists on a site. But when it actually comes to digging things out of the ground, is there anything more or does that come more in the back end than the lab? It really comes in the front end and the back end. Okay. I mean, the type of work that I'm doing now in the field is nearly the same as what I did when I started in this profession. In fact, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was out, we're digging this site. It's a 17th century site, maybe 1660s to 1680 house site. So I'm getting ready to get into a feature, a big cellar feature. It's full of bones and shells and pottery. Somebody's going to build a barn in the area. And so we're out there trying to, to dig around it before they destroy it with the barn. And I sh was sharpening my trowel. This is the same trowel I got 18 years ago. Oh, wow. Is it's, this a thing in archaeology? Oh, you hold a, on to your trowels? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Really? You do not touch someone else's trowel. I have no idea. <laughs> yes, you wow. have to ask permission. We're, my trowel and I, archaeologists are very close to their trowels. Yes. And mine has shrunk considerably over the years. Can That's we get like, a picture of your trowel as well? Sure. You, has it ever had a photo shoot done? I don't think so. You don't so. have it on you, do you? It's in the car. Oh, well, you're bringing it in. <laughs> After this, she's bringing in this so we can get a picture of sure, it. Sure, sure. Right. It Do you mind. always travel with it just in case? Oh, yeah. Wow. You never I know. I had no idea. This is illuminating. You never know. I have my Munsell book in the car. Okay. I can read soil colors. Uh -huh. I got my gloves. I got my field boots. I mean, just say the word, Nick, and we'll, we'll go do some archaeology here. <laughs> okay. It sounds good. <laughs> All right. So you've got the trowel, but that kind of thing, you're sharpening it, and that's been the way it's been done for a long time. Absolutely. Right? I mean, and we still hand map. You know, I'm still using, I mean, you can map using a total station, but archaeologists still really appreciate being able to map with rulers and graph paper because it gives you another way of looking at what you've excavated right. and thinking about what you've excavated. Because you're having to actually commit it to paper and looking at it as you're doing it. I That's guess. right. But then I guess once it gets to the lab section, why don't you tell us what happens in a lab? And it sounds like maybe there's some more technology taking place there. There is to a certain degree. I mean, certainly, like, we still take the artifacts dirty back to the lab. Our lab is in Edgewater, the county archaeology lab's there, Edgewater, Maryland. And every one of those artifacts that we found, we'd scrub with a toothbrush to get the soil off. But then, you know, we start to analyze them. Now, here's where technology starts to come into handy. It's a lot of data sharing. 
if I find something, you know, artifacts are small. It's a broken piece of something that was whole hundreds or perhaps thousands of years ago. So the ability to contact other archaeologists, to see what other archaeologists have put online, and then to put what we found online to compare, like, what is this weird little object that I found? So that's a lot easier now than perhaps it was before. It's tremendously easier. Absolutely. You know, I know archaeologists that do 3D scanning. Right. And we actually brought someone in who had done some 3D scanning uh, with Direct Dimensions, which is a oh, firm yeah. based here in Maryland. And they they actually told us a story about 3D scanning, something that had a thumbprint in it. And they were able to, cool. to pull that thumbprint off. This is over in Mesopotamia area and in the Middle East and, and trying to kind of come up with, could there be a database of thumbprints archaeological thumbprints to see how things kind of traveled through trade through the world. So pretty intense. I mean, you can yeah. get, get really detailed, I guess, there. Well, 3D scanning of artifacts, you know, also allows us to take these artifacts out on the road, mm -hmm. to give them to people, to hand to people, and to right. let them touch them and interact with them in a way that they wouldn't be able to with the original object. I guess the final phase beyond the lab is exhibition of items. Does Anne Arundel County do that? Have you gotten involved in that at all? Or are you more just on the digging and science side of it? No, I'm very much on the outreach side of it. We do have a museum at Historic London Town and Gardens that talks about some of the archaeology that has taken place at London Town and across the county. So that's one place we've been able to display a lot of our artifacts. Right now, we're working on projects where... We're going to be displaying some artifacts in different libraries across the county, but it's also going to have iPad-type technology, touchscreen technology, where we can just hand this to groups of people and they can swipe through and see pictures of the dig and pictures of all the artifacts we found and, and see some of our results. But the other thing that we try to do is bring archaeology to people who can't go to a dig site. We always take volunteers. Here's my shout out. Please okay. come volunteer at the Anne Arundel County Archaeology Project. Do you have a project this summer that's coming? Normally they're done in the summer, I presume. Uh, all year. All year. Yeah. You're out in the winter? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Nobody wants to volunteer on that one, though. Um. <laughs> Only the hardy. <laughs> Easier to get them May, June, July, August. Well, I don't. It's hot. Yeah, you know, it's, it's hot in the summer. I'd say the shoulder seasons. Do are you really have the any cool time. projects that you're working on now that you're looking for volunteers? Well, Skipworth's Edition is the project I was talking about earlier, the 17th century site. We are in the middle of excavating it and taking people in. But the best way to find out what projects we have going on is to just go to the Lost Towns Project website, www.losttownsproject.org. And we have all of our volunteer opportunities listed there. You know, you can come and dig on any site that we ever dig. If you want to do a phase one level shovel test survey or you want to dig squares into super cool Indian sites. I mean, we do it all and everything in between. But the other thing we're doing now is some uh, outreach projects where we developed a series of archaeology workshops hands-on archaeology workshops where we're pulling all of the artifacts, uh, collections of artifacts out of the basement and showing people what we have. I mean, in the county, we hold something, millions of artifacts. and But they just, a lot of them just sit in boxes, kind of forgotten about. So we've developed projects where the first one we did was, we called it Partying Through Time, where we went back and thought like, okay, how, how, does, how is partying reflected in the archaeological record? So we had like smoking and drinking and taverns and Indian feasts. And we dug up a 20th century Negro League baseball field. And so we pulled out artifacts from that and showed people, you know, they got to touch all this old stuff and, and you know, and just learn about the way that we interpret sites. 
we did a, another workshop recently at London Town where we showed people the artifacts that were dug up from London Town, showed them how we analyzed the sites, and then took them out to buildings that have been recreated there at the park based on the archaeology, and then talked about, okay, so how did you go from this one shirt of pottery to this building that's standing on the landscape? And now how do you use that building as a way of bringing people into the past? Yeah. You know? And I feel like in a sense, we've kind of come full circle to one of the first questions about why does archaeology matter? Doing the public outreach reinforces that point, because I think it's easy for members of the general public who aren't familiar with it perhaps to not see the value in it. But when you're really confronted by those pieces and you can connect in the same way that perhaps an archaeologist could in a pit, but you know, if you don't have the opportunity to do that, I feel like that's a way to really kind of make archaeology pop for the general public. Thanks. I mean, you know, most people are really fascinated by archaeology, yeah. but just have no idea that it exists here. Right. So one thing that we really try to do in Anne Arundel is bring people into the process and let them know that we're here and, you know, and, and we're always looking for people to help us. So speaking of digs, um, normally we ask people what their favorite historic structure is in Maryland or, or wherever they're talking to us from. But because you're an archaeologist, we suppose we'll let it slide and you can tell us your favorite dig that you've ever been on because I presume you, you have one or it might be difficult to choose, but we'd love to know what it is that takes the cake. It is really difficult to choose. You know, as a fan of this podcast, I've been thinking about it. What is my favorite dig? It's it's like picking a child, your favorite <laughs> child, you know? I mean, there I've done some really cool ones. But I think I'm going to go with some of the sites I've dug in the Jug Bay area of the Patuxent River. So the Patuxent River forms the, the western border of Anne Arundel County and starts up in Frederick. The Patuxent starts in Frederick and it goes into the Chesapeake Bay down at Solomon. So we've been digging about halfway in, uh, up the Patuxent just finding some amazing Native American sites there, uh, one of which was called Pig Point. Pig Point uh, was an uh, Indian village. We've proven that people have been living there for 10,000 years. We did radiocarbon dating on some ancient charcoal or maybe hickory nuts we found in a pit. And we did radiocarbon dating and found our dates went back to 7300 BC, which is about 9,000 years old. But we found artifacts underneath that pit. So we know that people had been living there for 10,000 years. And we found the outlines of their houses were. We found where they were having these ritual feasts. We found where they were burying their dead in this really weird, bizarre way from like 200 BC to 200 AD. Now, do you still find bones? Oh, yes. Yeah, there were bones. The remains of hundreds of individuals were still there. Another piece of technology that we're using on the bones from Pig Point is isotopic analysis, where we're going to be able to determine if the people that were buried there ate a lot of fish or if they didn't eat a lot of fish. If we find that they did, then that can show us that they were coastal people. If they didn't, then maybe they lived in the mountains or they lived farther inland because a lot of the artifacts that we find in these pits are from Ohio and from Michigan and from Pennsylvania, from far away, showing these like vast trade networks that are taking place thousands of years ago. So are the people that are buried there locals or are they coming from far away? And the coolest thing about the Pig Point site is that, you know, when people think like, oh, there's nothing left to find in Maryland. I mean, this isn't, these aren't people's yards. There's houses all around us. There's roads and driveways. I mean, this is all what's just beneath it. And now we've been working on a site called River Farm for the last couple of years, which is a mile away from Pig Point. 
trying to see how this little site, well, it's not much of a little site, it's a huge site actually, on the floodplain, relates back to that. We're seeing a lot of the same behaviors were taking place like a thousand years ago, 2,000 years ago with the ritual feasts and the same type of materials and the same type of trade goods that are coming from thousands of miles away. But separated from Pig Point by almost four or 5,000 years. Right? Uh, or no, no, they were uh, used at the same time. Used at the same time. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. But you and, and as you mentioned too, though, this is some of this is taking place in people's backyards. So I guess someone listening right now, the likelihood that you have archaeological deposits in your backyard is probably high. It's probably high. It, Absolutely. It just depends on. They, they may not be ten thousand years old, but <laughs> uh, they're they're probably pretty old. Yeah. That's pretty cool. There's always the chance. Yeah. All right, Stephanie, if someone wanted to get a hold of you or wanted to learn more about the work that your guy's doing, um, why don't you give us some contact information? Sure. Well, um, if you want to find out about the work we're doing generally, like I said, go to the Lost Towns Project website, www.losttownsproject.org. Or you can email me directly at uh, pzspur, S-P-E-R, pzspur64 at aacounty.org. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming in, answering questions, illuminating uh, archaeology in many different interesting ways, also giving us the background and the importance of the trowel to every <laughs> archaeologist. Um, I'll go get it right now. I'm looking forward to it. And and thank you for what you do to preserve Maryland history. We appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for having me. All right. Sounds good. We'll be back next time on PreserveCast. You don't need to open a history book to find us available online from iTunes and the Google Play Store, as well as our website, presmd.org. This is PreserveCast. This podcast was developed under a grant from the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training, a unit of the National Park Service. Its contents are the sole responsibility of Preservation Maryland and the Maryland Milestones Heritage Area and do not necessarily represent the official position or policies of the National Park Service or the National Center for Preservation Technology and Training. This week's episode was produced and engineered by Ben and Stephen Israel. Our executive producer is Aaron Markovich. Our theme music is performed by the band Pretty Gritty. You can learn more about them at their website, prettygrittymusic.com, on Facebook or on Twitter at PG underscore Pretty Gritty. To learn more about Preservation Maryland or this week's guest, visit preservationmaryland.org. While there, you can check out our blog and learn about what's current in historic preservation. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Flickr, and Twitter at PreservationMD. And of course, a very special thank you to our listeners. Keep preserving. <laughs>